Here we go with the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn. Welcome to the show. Thrilled you're here listening. Leo, it's just, it's the strangest thing. As soon as I turn the microphone on or whenever I teach a yoga class and I turn the camera on and teach yoga classes online, he just knows what's up. And he has to be in the room where the microphone is. He has to be where the camera is. So he's clearly ready to be on television. So my name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. And I created the show because I think social media, Facebook, Instagram, all of them are creating immense havoc on the world, the way people communicate, the inflammatory result of having a social media platform on all the time, 24-7, where people can just say or do whatever they want and not think about consequences. And that, I think, is going to be the original theme of my show, rather for today's episode, this idea of consequences. People don't think about consequences. And how could they? Because so many people are really thinking about themselves. And these social media platforms really perpetuate that process where people are just caught up in their own lives. They don't think about other people's feelings or consequences. And by the way, just if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a review, head over to my website, I am Eddie Cohn, join my newsletter. I'm also on Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. I'm creating a newsletter there. And I just posted an article on Medium. It's called Facebook and the IDGAF problem, the I don't give a fuck problem, which really is a pretty strong theme of my show. People really just don't give a fuck about what other people think or feel. And if you call them out on it, they'll just hit you back with a good old, I don't give a fuck. So head over to Medium, type in my name, Eddie Cohn, you can find the article. Please read it. I'd love to hear what you think. But I have really been thinking a lot about, obviously, the world and and the toxicity that's being plastered all over the place, people grandstanding. You know, I don't want to go down this COVID-19 story at all today because I've, I've, I've touched on that subject a lot. But I think the reason why COVID-19 is so troublesome for our culture now is we live in a world of know-it-alls. And this idea of not knowing, being in doubt, is really challenging for most people because everybody needs to be right, grandstand, be first. And when you're dealing with a virus that's, that's new, that's novel, that just came out a few months ago, that's almost impossible for people to wrap their arms around because you got a bunch of physicians and politicians and governors and mayors who all want to be right and first and and God forbid anybody makes a mistake. So coupled with the fact that we have social media and everybody has phones and cameras everywhere they are, you, you, you can't say anything or do anything with the risk of being called who knows what. You know, I I actually do feel a little bit of sympathy right now for police officers. And I know that's possibly controversial to say right now, but I have a couple friends who are police officers and they're great people. And I think we forget how challenging and difficult that job is. Even with the story surrounding George Floyd, obviously, in Minneapolis, this doesn't excuse any of the behavior from police officers that are racist and are taking advantage of their power and situation. 
It doesn't excuse that behavior at all. But I think we forget how challenging the risks involved in being a police officer. They're often dealing with the dredge of society, people that are living on the streets, intoxicated, inebriated, not thinking straight, may have weapons on them, dealing with drunk drivers. This could be white people, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians. It doesn't matter. Their, their job is really challenging. So I think right now they're terrified. And I just watched a video online. Come on, Leo. You're really – go, go. Just watched a video just, just down the street in my neighborhood, Fairfax and Melrose, where just hundreds of people were running after police officers in cars, throwing bricks and ladders at their cars and want to kill them. And it's, it's tragic. And there should be consequences for bad actions. There should be consequences for the words that you use that hurt people's feelings. But we seem to be living in this world now where, and it's, it's frightening as hell, where consequences just don't matter. This officer, I got to get his name because I'm forgetting, maybe it doesn't matter, but the officer that did what he did in Minneapolis, I mean, to think, to have the audacity, the cluelessness, the racism, the innate narcissism, and even sociopathic attitude to do what he's doing, despite the fact that there's cameras all around him. I mean, it's, is he that clueless to think that what he's doing isn't going to create a huge, traumatic news story in our country? And I think to myself, well, it's probably because his behavior has been perpetuated by his boss. The St. Paul, Minneapolis Police Department does have a reputation for being racist, crooked. You think, I think to myself, even Donald Trump, who is despicable, who is sociopathic, narcissistic, I mean, these men didn't get where they are by themselves. They have been enabled. And as much as people want to condemn Donald Trump for being this despicable human being, which clearly he is. Clearly the police officers should go to jail and possibly will get life in prison, may even be executed. I don't know. This wasn't the first time that he's behaved this way, this, this police officer. There's, I was reading there's been multiple times where he's been charged with this type of behavior where it didn't lead to a, a death, thank God, but he's had this history Donald Trump didn't just suddenly become this way. <laughs> He's been this way for years, most of his life. And this behavior has been perpetuated. People have enabled him. And, and it almost feels as though until somebody is stopped or calls him out or he loses his job or goes to jail or is executed or loses all of his money, these types of people are going to keep doing what they were doing and just keep getting away with it. This other wrinkle, though, I, I, I firmly believe that you can't, This as awful as that is, it doesn't excuse the despicable behavior that's happening around the country. People protesting peacefully, but then there's people that are taking advantage and going to these areas and then looting, stealing, killing fellow human beings. And I, I have to think the police are scared to do anything. And when police can't police, you have a problem. 
the police are just letting people loot, letting people steal, letting people kill other people without any consequences. And it's it's a frightening world that we live in. And, and again, I, I think I, I think we sort of live in this false society inside of our heads where we just can't reconcile this idea that there's a lot of evil in the world. And every single one of us has that potential. Now, of course, I don't think every single one of us has the extreme to kill somebody, to rob, (laughs) to uh, rob a bank. I do at least hold on to that hope. There's a really interesting movie that I loved, and I'm going to bring up an interesting point, which is going to be really challenging for some of you to hear. It was shocking for me to hear, but I think it's important to talk about. First of all, the movie, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which starred Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke. It's a powerful movie, and for me, it resonated because, you know, life has this strange way of ebbing and flowing where, you know, you could turn right in an intersection as opposed to turn left, and your life will completely change. And I've always felt as though life has such a fragility to it where at any moment, it may not even be under your control, life can just completely spiral downwards. And pretty soon, like the characters in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, your life is out of control. And you're making decisions that you had no idea that you would ever be in that situation. I think that's what this world is showing me and sort of proving is as much as we want to sort of cradle and coddle each other and just say everything's about love and you know share the love and spread the love, it's not that easy. It's a scary world sometimes. I think it's, it's another reminder that we have to be really thankful for what we have. And this other little wrinkle that, I'll, that I'm going to touch on, we also sort of live in this fake utopian world where we just think people are good or bad, and we just want to pigeonhole them into one way or the other. And it's just not that, not that simple. And, you know, I, I was reading a really a great book that I recommend by Michael Eric Dyson, which is actually very timely. It's uh, the biography of Jay-Z, but it's much bigger than that. It's about black culture, about Jay-Z, LeBron James, Martin Luther King Jr. And Michael brings up this interesting point towards the end of the book, or not even a point. He starts sharing these stories about Martin Luther King Jr., about how he was a womanizer, was involved in orgies, had over 30 or 40 affairs. I had never known that story was even a possibility. All I knew about Martin Luther King Jr. was all the good work that he did for fighting racism and trying to bring white and black people together and just make this world a better place for everybody, no matter your skin color. And so I started thinking to myself, a lot of this is also about controlling the narrative. In an article came out in the Wall Street Journal, biographer David Garrow has reported in has reported in sometimes pornographic detail on King's assignations with some of the more than 40 women, single and married, with whom he is said to have had affairs. And there's even another scene where I'm not even going to say what happened, but it's a 7,800-word article um, that was published in the British magazine Standpoint because American publications turned it down. 
Its revelations are from the mid-60s at the height of the civil rights movement. The years before King was martyred and canonized, his name bestowed upon a national holiday and a thousand avenues and high schools. Grown-ups understand, though children and ideologues do not, what F. Scott Fitzgerald meant when he said that the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. We now live with two contradictory and irreconcilable ideas of Martin Luther King Jr. And those close to King, apparently, including journalists, were aware of his womanizing and drinking. And I guess my point here is, is that we just, we live in this false pretense where either you're good or you're bad. And I'm bringing this, this Martin Luther King point up because obviously it's timely, but I think it's important to get comfortable with some of the uncomfortable. And I certainly am not reading this to take anything away from Martin Luther King. I think he deserves the accolades, the attention and the national holiday that he's been granted because the words that he's expressed to me, are more valuable than anything that he did in his personal life. But I think we now live in this 2020 social media, cameras are on, people are quick to judge society where you can't reconcile the idea that somebody may also do something bad despite being a good person. And we forget the fact that human nature is pretty complicated and also a little ugly sometimes. And then before I move on to the, the, the story about the media that I want to share, you know, social media right now, all these posts about the terrible things going on around the world... I just, I don't think, I I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to create change. When you're dealing with DNA, historical, powerful racism, to enact change is going to need somebody like Martin Luther King, who is figuring out a way with articulate words, books, meetings, being on television somehow. The problem now is, though, is that, and, and I worry about this, we live in this 24-7 cycle where people's attention spans are so shitty that nobody's going to retain any sort of information to actually inspire change. And, you know, everybody's running to, to social media and Facebook and posting this and posting that, and people are going back and forth, and it's just, it's too much. I, I literally wish... Facebook and Instagram would go away. They have to go away because the only way we're going to find some sort of union, some sort of connection, some sort of middle ground and and actually have conversations is to eliminate social media so that people can then congregate, meet together face to face and figure the fuck out what is wrong with our society and how did we get here and how are we perpetuating this? Social media and the media are making it worse. We need some good news. You know, somehow the news has been associated with the bad. And social media 
is becoming that also. It's just a toxic battlefield where people are just sharing the worst. And then they're saying, if, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to block you or we're not going to be friends. And people's priorities and what they value right now and their ability to listen and have context and understand human behavior, it's just impossible. And they're judging people. You are being judged based on a stupid fucking photo. People are judging you based on your little post, your photo of, of you and a smoothie or whatever. I, I don't know. Nobody wants to really get to know human beings and, and come to terms with this idea that we're complicated. I'm feeling a little bit of fear about where this is all headed. And I'm concerned. And again, this brings back to my original point about consequences. I don't think Facebook or human beings that are so high on dopamine want to think about consequences. You know, there's a reason why we had the police department, because you can't break the law. And I want to live in a world where if people break the law, they should be responsible. You can't just go to the Santa Monica Mall as angry as you might be about what happened in Minneapolis, I don't think you should still be allowed to steal or then kill somebody else. And we, we need the police. We certainly need police that aren't racist. I'm just really disappointed. And I'm going to try and add some comfort and make you realize that I am thinking about you and sending you good vibes, and, and I hope we all get through this. But I think it's important to reach out to loved ones right now and, and just remind them how much you care about them. It does feel like, and this will relate to my last segment here, it just it feels like the world wants chaos, disruption. But I do lastly want to talk about this idea of context, creating the story and you know the media to me is it's it's just amazing to me how just 7 days ago all that mattered was covid-19 you can't go outside and now it's like that's not even a story anymore i mean who remembers it <laughs> it it almost feels like it took 2 to 3 months to get people to you know stay home and take something seriously. And then, of course, I thought to myself, what's it going to take for people to forget about COVID-19? And I thought, it's going to be war. So it's like, it's the next thing. And now people are posting on Instagram, you know, educating yourself, which, which I admire. I think there's something to that. But I think we need to dive a little bit more into what the media is doing. What's their role? And again, I'm not... I, I don't want you to judge me here, but the media isn't doing the police any favors by only reporting bad stories. And I'm not saying that's an excuse. Obviously, I'm not in favor of, of police brutality 
towards civilians. I mean, you know, like that should just be like obvious, the obvious. But when something bad is all that's newsworthy, when it's only newsworthy or we're only aware of the police department, when they do something bad, it's going to create a problem. And I think it is adding to the fire. I mean, newsworthy stories have, we, we need we need a little good. The media has to report good stories, but they know that those aren't popular and they're not going to get the attention that the bad stories get. So the news is no longer really about news. It's about getting your attention. So I'm reading a book called Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. And you know, I wish I could say I, I highly suggest the book, but it is a little dry. But I will say Ezra is a great podcaster. He has a great podcast that I listen to pretty regularly. He's very thoughtful. He's intelligent. He's the creator, owner, I believe, of Vox Media. Um, really smart guy. So he has a chapter here called The Media, and he works for the media. He has for years, and it's called The Media Creates, It Doesn't Just Reflect. The news, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but th- this is very important. And again, I think we need to think about how we're manipulated, how the narrative is controlled. I don't think we realize how impactful the media really is. And I don't know if I'll get to this point in the book, but when Donald Trump was running for president three, four years ago, the media never talked about the other Republican nominees. They only talked about Donald Trump. He was exactly what the news was looking for. He's sensational, over the top. He says ridiculous things. He was like a wet dream for the news media. And that's all they talked about for months. So the news media is supposed to be a mirror held up to the world. But the world is far too vast to fit in our mirror. The fundamental thing the media does all day, every day, is decide what to cover. Decide that is what is newsworthy. Here's the dilemma. To to decide what to cover is to become the shaper of the news rather than a mirror held up to the news. It makes journalists actors rather than observers. It annihilates our fundamental conception of ourselves And yet, it's the most important decision we make. If we decide to give more coverage to Hillary Clinton's emails than to her policy proposals, which is what we did, then we make her emails more important to the public's understanding of her character. In doing so, we shape not just the news, but the election, and thus the country. While I'm critical of the specific decision my industry made in that case, This problem is inescapable. The news media isn't just an actor in politics. It's arguably arguably the most powerful actor in politics. It's the primary intermediary between what politicians do and what the public knows. If we simply cover what's newsworthy, then we're not the ones making those decisions at all. It's the neutral external judgment of newsworthiness that, that bears responsibility. The problem is that no one anywhere has a rigorous definition of, of a rigorous definition of newsworthiness 
much less a definition that they actually follow. In theory, newsworthiness means something roughly like important. The most newsworthy story is the most important story. But if that were true, front pages and cable news shows would look very different from how they do now. More malaria, fewer celebrities, including political celebrities. In practice, newsworthiness is some combination of important, new, outrageous, conflict-oriented, secret, or interesting. In the modern era, a shortcut to newsworthiness is social media virality. If people are already talking about a story or a tweet, that makes it newsworthy almost by definition. In both cases, the presence of other outlets and other voices serves to build a fortress of tautology. Whatever everyone is covering is newsworthy because everyone is covering it. And then ultimately he says, this can lead the country into odd, angry cul-de-sacs. Well said. I think that's where we are. We are in a merry-go-round, ugly cul-de-sac. And we want to sort of believe in this false pretense of utopia where evil doesn't exist. But then again, you know, I'm, I'm even contradic- contradicting myself here. You know, I live in a pretty multiracial neighborhood. And I went bike riding last weekend. And, you know, my neighbors are African-American, Hispanic, a gay couple, a lesbian couple. And, you know, I'm I'm saying hi to everybody and people are smiling to me and I'm smiling to them. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, people really do get along. And unfortunately, there's some bad fucking apples that ruin it for everybody. Something so egregious happens, I'm happy it's on tape because that stuff shouldn't go on. But then the way it's covered and discussed, the consequences of it all, just this ripple wave effect. I mean, even the way the country shut down because of COVID-19 and the nonstop coverage and the fear and... Boy, it, it's it's just this sort of toxic security blanket that just envelops the whole world. And and you know, I'm not naive here, but you know, I go outside and sometimes I think to myself, the world's a pretty great place. There's just some a few people out there in, in retrospect compared to the billions of people out there that kind of fuck it up for everybody sometimes. And if we could just get a handle on them and police them and put them in jail or do whatever we need to do, then we can get this place to a much better, brighter world that that I do see. I do see that world, and I think we all do. The problem is that the news media just nonstop reports the bad. So I don't know. I I think we need to have some awareness of it all. And it's, it's, it's hard not to go to this very dark place when all you're reading is, is bad all the time. I, I have been thinking, I, I just think we need to think about consequences and think before we speak and think before we act. And, and I think about that police officer that was just standing there when this was all going on behind him. 
I mean, how could he be so inept to just stand there and not turn around and say, like, you know, hey, bud, I, I, I think he's, I think George Floyd is not getting up. I, I think you need to stop. It's just, it's insane to me. The, the thoughtlessness that, that he had. So, you know, one more point I'm just thinking also here. I almost feel like we're not meant to be on camera all the time. Because the reality is, is that people are kind of shitty sometimes. Just sort of like with my point earlier. You know, it's like we live in this world where we suddenly jump on the story when it's bad. And if we get a little comfortable, you know, even the best people that you know have bad days and say things that are stupid. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. They had a bad moment there. And I think we live in this sort of idealistic world that's just impossible. Again, I'm not condoning the awful, egregious behavior of these police officers. That's completely on the way terrible extreme. But let's take it back a little further and just try to get a little bit more realistic and objective about human beings. And we we do have our bad moments. So if you dig the show, I've got a great conversation coming up later on this week. Uh, that should post next week with a musician, DJ. Um... If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a review, a five-star. Head over to my website, I'm Eddie Cohn, and sign up for the newsletter. Head over to medium.com and read that, read that article about Facebook. As always, thank you so much for listening and supporting and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. <laughs>